0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. We're continuing in our series, It's All About Control, and we're talking about the struggle and the tension that each one of us face who are Christ followers related to our desire to be in control of our own lives, when in reality, only God is in control. We're going to talk about the issue of anxiety or worry versus trust. Some of you will recognize the name Corrie Ten Boom. She and her family were known for hiding Jews and keeping them safe from the Nazis during World War II and the Holocaust. And they were discovered to have a hiding place in fact there's a a well-known book and even a movie that was made years ago called the hiding place if you've not read that book or seen that movie i'd recommend them uh, highly they they are a powerful story of a great woman of faith well the family was discovered to have been hiding Jews from the, the Nazi Gestapo, and Cori and her beloved sister Betsy were put in a prison camp, and they lived under conditions just unimaginable. As a matter of fact, Betsy died in prison camp. Corey did survive that experience. She came to America and uh, became one of the greatest voices uh, for the Christian faith during uh, the 1970s and 80s especially. And for someone who was of Dutch descent, she had a mastery of the English language that uh, was almost unparalleled. Cindy and I got to hear her speak. Uh, at a, a Gaither Praise Gathering back in the 70s in Indianapolis. And just the uh, Holy Spirit was just all over her life. And she said many things worth remembering. And if anyone in her life had had reason to worry, it was Corey ten Boom. And yet this is what she said about strength. And that's absolutely right. And there are are many definitions of worry, but I decided I'd come up with my own for the message today. And so here's my definition. Worry is a futile emotion wasted on things that God already has under control. Things that God already has under control. Worry is futile. It's useless. It's destructive. Let me quickly tell you some things that worry does. Worry drains us of emotional energy. It's exhausting. We spend all of that emotional energy on worry. That produces nothing. Worry drains us of emotional energy. Worry robs us of our peace. It just steals it right away from us. You cannot have peace and worry at the same time. They're mutually exclusive. Worry robs us of our peace. Here's what else it does. Worry gives us a false sense of control. As if it's going to change something. It's going to make something better. If I can just worry hard enough. Worry gives us a false sense of control, but here's something even more serious. Worry weakens the testimony of our faith in God. People look at us who are known to be followers of Jesus Christ, who, who we profess that, that we serve a God who is sovereign, who's in control, who loves us and cares about us, and yet when we worry, that's incongruous. It's inconsistent. There's a disconnect between our worry and our professed faith. Worry weakens the testimony of our faith in God. But here's, here's one last thing. Worry seeks to pressure God into doing our will instead of His. Doing our will instead of His. And I've preached many messages on worry through the three decades I've been your pastor, but they're never wasted because worry is an intermittent problem for some of you. But if there were an Olympic team for worrying, some of you would be on that team. (laughs) And yet, when we worry, it's in direct disobedience to the command of Christ. So it brings us to this question. Here it is, how can I conquer worry? How can I conquer worry? okay we're one slide behind I want to spend this I want to spend this message trying to unpack that question how can I conquer worry what does the scripture tell us I want to show you how you can replace worry with something that instead of weakening your faith will strengthen your faith and it will change your life for the better Last week, Pastor Jeff's message uh, had a big idea that went like this. Life is better when God is in control. Do you remember that? It's a great message. If you missed last week, you should go back and, and look at the service. It was a powerful testimony, a powerful message, and his big idea was life is better when God is in control. Well, in reality, God is always in control. But what he was saying is when we relinquish the illusion that we can do something that will put ourselves in control instead of God, when we realize that God is in control and we just rest in that, life is better. And it was a very convincing message. Because worrying is actually a form of our efforts to be in control to use our puny power to change things that we cannot change that we cannot change and when we do that the focus of our heart is wrong and so I want to begin to answer that question how can I conquer worry with our big idea for today trust in God extinguishes worry Trust in God extinguishes worry. And I want to begin to show you this uh, with a story that probably you know from Luke chapter 10. If you have a Bible and you'd like to follow along, we're going to be in several different passages uh, today. I'll be teaching, as always, from the New Living Translation. The verses will be provided on the screen. But if you have your own Bible, feel free to follow along. We're beginning in Luke chapter 10 with verse 38 a story of Jesus and some dear friends as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home now I want us to understand the setting here Martha lives in this home along with her sister Mary and her brother Lazarus And for Martha, the day described here was a big day. Jesus was coming. And she wanted to do everything just right. And she had so much work to do. She was scrambling around. She was preparing her best meal. Ladies, you know what that is for you, right? She was preparing her best meal. She wanted to make sure the the table was set just so and she was not yet ready. And I'm just, I just am imagining that Jesus showed up before she thought he would be there. They didn't have watches or clocks, by the way. And Jesus was never late. And I just imagine he arrived and, and she's in the kitchen and when somebody tells her that Jesus is here. And she's going, he, he's here or I'm not ready. Where is Mary anyway? And she goes looking and she finds her and her eyes can't believe what she's seeing verse 39 her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught but Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing she came to Jesus and said Lord doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work Tell her to come and help me. Now, I'm going to tell you a lot of good things in this sermon today, but here's one that you shouldn't forget. It's never a good idea to tell Jesus what to do. (laughs) Not a good idea. And Jesus could have rebuked her and put her in her place, but he didn't. Instead, he turned it into a teaching moment, a tender teaching moment. Verse 41, But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all these details. I mean, he's saying to her, You sweet, well-intentioned friend. You have missed it. You have missed it. You are frantic over secondary, trivial details. And all the while you are running frantically by what really matters. Verse 42. This really is the heart of the whole sermon, so don't miss verse 42. Jesus said to her, There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. So here's why that's so important. We will never conquer worry until we find the one thing worth being concerned about. I want to shift gears a little bit to Matthew chapter 6. And if you're turning in your Bibles while you're finding that, let me give you a little of the setting. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching a series of spiritual truths. And we're not told about the details of the the relational context that's going on between the disciples and between uh, Jesus. But I want to use just a little bit of sanctified supposition. Are you with me? A little, a lictified imagination. I just imagine there's a discussion going on between the disciples about money. And I am supposing that Judas is in the middle of it because Judas was the one who was the treasurer. And we find out later in scripture that Ju- Judas really didn't care about spiritual things. He didn't care about money for the poor or, or and. Bottom line, he didn't care about Jesus. And so I just imagine there's a discussion going on about there not being enough money. And he's saying perhaps to the other disciples, we don't even know if we can eat at McDonald's and stay at Motel 6. We don't have enough money. And Jesus overhears the conversation and he teaches them about allegiances that are mutually exclusive. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Now, I I, I want to say something that I think is not often said around this verse it's not just money that's the issue here money was just the the issue for them at that moment I believe but it could be anything you cannot serve God and fill in the blank for Martha it wasn't money it was pride she wanted to be the perfect hostess she wanted to be the one that That presented the perfect dinner for Jesus it was her pride for the disciples it happened to be money that day and they couldn't see how there would be enough and so they were worried and Jesus says this verse 25 that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? I want to say at this point, Jesus was not saying those things were unimportant or that we should be irresponsible. Or that we should not plan, that we should not work hard. The scripture teaches that we should work hard and be responsible. That's, that's not the point. It's not that those things are unimportant or shouldn't be managed. It is those things or anything else should not become our focus. It should not be the thing that we are passionately obsessed about. And so here's what Jesus says about those things of life verse 26 look at the birds they don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them and aren't you far more valuable to him than they are the birds (laughs) I was sitting at my breakfast table this morning reading over my notes And I looked out the window, and uh, we have a family of rabbits that lives on our property. And there were two little rabbits, and they were hopping over each other playing. And they're just going about their day, and I thought, you know what? They're not worried about how much money's in the bank. (laughs) They're not worried about clothes, because God has provided fur for them. And and it's the same issue that Jesus is saying here, that if, if... If he is going to take care of the animals and the birds do you think he's forgotten you you were created in his image do you do you think that he is no longer your provider and so you have to worry that you can't depend on him or trust in him so you have to worry I think Jesus would ask you and me a question and it's in verse 27 Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Does worry change anything? Can you control anything with worry? And he goes on, verse 28, And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, and yet Solomon and all... that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? If God demonstrates his faithfulness toward lifeless vegetation that has no soul, And you are his son or you are his daughter. Do you think he will forget you for the flowers? No. Verse 31. So don't worry about these things. Saying what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? Jesus is saying when we worry we're acting like we don't believe in him. We're acting like we don't trust in him. We're acting like our faith really means nothing verse 32 these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers but your heavenly father already knows all your needs the scripture tells us we will have troubles In fact it promises us we will have troubles in other words if we're looking for something to worry about we can find it right we can find it. We can worry about money. It's an everyday part of life. We can worry about our health. And especially when you get to the age that many of us now are, our health becomes a a more prominent issue in our life. You can worry about your health. We can worry about our job. Or if you're retired, you can worry about your retirement security. We can worry about our relationships, about our family. We can worry about you fill in the blank. Because there's so many things we can worry about. But do you remember what Jesus said to Martha? There's only one thing worth being concerned about. And so that raises this question what is the one thing worth being concerned about what is it that ought to be our focus what is it that ought to be that thing that stays central in our heart and mind and as we continue this passage Jesus tells us in verse 33 seek the kingdom of God above all else And live righteously and he will give you everything you need everything you need this my friends is one of the if-then promises of the Bible there are so many of them if then and here's how that works if we do this God will do this And so see the if-then-if in that verse. If we will seek the kingdom of God and live like we're seeking the kingdom of God, then he will take care of all of our needs. That's a promise. It's not something you have to wonder. It's clear. If you will seek him first. The Apostle Paul Discovered this I want to, I want you to hear what he has to say his testimony in Philippians chapter 3 beginning with verse 8 He said yes everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord For his sake I have discarded everything else counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ And become one with him now just think of who it was that was saying that Paul in his previous life as Saul was wealthy he was powerful he was a Pharisee he was educated he was admired and esteemed he was as a as a Jewish man he was sitting on top of the world but when he met Jesus that all into the trash can. Discarded it all. He gave it all up. It wasn't important. It wasn't even on his radar anymore. And what became the central focus of his heart and life was to know Christ. To be one with him. And when a Christ follower gets to that point in their spiritual journey, when their faith is not just kind of a a little package they put on the shelf for most of the week when it's not just a secondary hobby or a a casual interest when their faith becomes the, the core of who they are the center of their identity the passion of their heart when they like Paul come to the the place of saying all that other stuff is just garbage compared to knowing Christ when you when you discover that all temporary earthly things get put into their proper perspective they all fall right into place and when we put our full trust in him Not even the worst things in life can conquer us. We become eternally invincible. The love of Christ holds us secure. When our focus is on knowing Christ, nothing can overcome his love for us. That's not my idea, that's what scripture says. Let me uh, share with you Paul's words in Romans chapter eight, that great chapter of scripture. Romans eight, beginning with with verse 35, where Paul says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Anything? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity, or are persecuted, or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death? death? Does that mean he doesn't love us anymore? Paul is saying, yes, there are some things in life that are hard, but they're just temporary. Verse 36, for as the scriptures say, for your sake we're killed every day. We're like being slaughtered like sheep. Yes, life on this earth is hard. And if Jesus does not come in our lifetime, and I wish he would, didn't you? don't you? But if he doesn't come in our lifetime, death is certain. It will come for all of us. But those things are like the blink of an eye in the span of eternity. Just like the blink of an eye. When compared to the eternal reward that is ours by God's grace through Jesus, and even through the hard trials of life right to the end, his love holds us securely. It holds us securely. And hear verse 37, hear it clearly. Paul says, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. So what he's saying, whatever it is you're worrying about, it doesn't have to defeat you unless you let it. And then he goes on, I I cannot skip this part, verse 38. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so when Christ becomes the passion of your life, the central focus of your heart, when we live in vital union with Christ, financial difficulty cannot conquer us. It's not pleasant, but it cannot conquer us. Failing health cannot conquer us because someday we'll have a glorified body. I'll have hair again. (laughs) Financial health cannot conquer us. Disappointment with people cannot conquer us. People will disappoint us. Jesus never will. Even death cannot conquer conquer us if this life takes my life heaven is waiting death cannot conquer us I read verse 37 again no despite all these things overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us do the trials that tempt us to worry hurt yeah they hurt but they're temporary I read one more verse 2nd Corinthians 4 17 hear it clearly from Paul's heart for our present troubles are small and won't last very long yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever So what do you do when you're tempted to worry if you've heard me preach at Magnolia's first very long you've heard me say before that years ago in fact back in the 1970s these verses became some of my life verses And I memorized them from the Living Bible. Actually, it was before the Living Bible was compiled. Uh, There were a few of the New Testament letters, and they were called Living Letters. And the the book of Philippians was among them. And it was the first time when I I read that Living Translation. It was the first time I had ever read scripture from anything but the King James that I grew up with and loved and still love but the meaning came alive to me and I memorized Philippians 4 6 and 7 from the Living Bible it goes like this don't worry about anything instead pray about everything tell God your needs and don't forget to thank him for his answers if you do this you will experience God's peace Which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand his peace will keep your thoughts and your heart quiet and at rest as you trust in Christ Jesus and I have quoted that verse to myself those verses thousands of times when I'm tempted to worry So what what am I challenging you to do with this truth today? Just one next step. Here it is. When you are tempted to worry, declare to God in prayer that you're going to trust him instead. And then do it. Really do it. Lord, I'm tempted to worry. But I'm not going to worry. I'm going to trust you. Can't see it, don't understand it, don't know what's ahead, but you do. I'm going to trust you instead of worrying. And if you will do that, your trust in God will extinguish your worry. Let's pray. Father, help us to understand that when we worry we are saying that we don't have faith in you and Lord none of us would intentionally do that if we are Christ followers by grace through faith we would never mean to say that but that's what we're saying help us instead to trust you to believe that you love us to believe that you will give us your peace even through the worst most difficult most heart-wrenching trials that you will never forsake us, that you will always care for us, and that even on the other side of this life, you are with us. So help us to trust in you and not worry. In Jesus' name, amen. Guests, come by the hospitality room. I'd love to meet you. Have a great week.